And I know that anxiety exists, it's real. Um, and we, we do have to address it because it is different in school than it is being out on our own. From the Texas Veterinary Medical Association in Austin, Texas, this is Veterinary Vitals, a show that features open and honest conversations with veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein, Media Coordinator for TVMA. This episode is the second of the mini-series for recent graduates. Have you ever had a moment in your life that changed your personal or professional journey? I know I have. It's actually a very vivid memory, and you'll hear about it in this episode. More importantly, you'll hear that sort of epiphany story from my guest today. Her name is Dr. Michelle Boatwright, and she was the 2016 TVMA Recent Graduate of the Year. First of all, that's a pretty cool award. She graduated from veterinary school in 2013, so she'd only been in practice for about three years when she won the award. But if we take a closer look at her time as a recent graduate, those three years, you'll see that it wasn't all smooth sailing. It came with doubt, feelings of isolation, and anxiety. So how did she come out on the other side and really excel to a point where she was recognized by her veterinary peers? And not just that, she now helps recent graduates who experience those exact feelings she dealt with. So how did she do it? And what was that moment she had that changed her life? She tells us in this episode. When I went to college, I totally thought I'm going to be an anesthesiologist. They're highly regarded, um, you know, doctors. And I, and I was never really excited about learning more about what they did. Um, I just thought that was the track I was going to take. And um, so I started schooling and, you know, got halfway through and I was taking this class. It was actually a um, ground uh, manners class for horses. I've always loved horses. And um, Dr. Martin from the vet school came out one day and they invited us to stay um, if we wanted to watch a neuter on a horse. And I remember I was like, well, I want to see that's you know, that's kind of neat. And, um, I stayed through my entire next class, um, watching and doing this. And then just, I found myself more and more at the barn. And, um, it wasn't until I like did that. I called my dad and I was like, I think I might want to do veterinary medicine. And I was already halfway through school and I hadn't really like focused anything on veterinary medicine. I mean, I used to volunteer at a shelter growing up. Um, because I just enjoyed and loved animals. But then I met Dr. Clay Cavender. I went to uh, his office and I was like, I think I want to be a veterinarian. And what research projects do you have? I know nothing really about horses. And I'm a really hard worker. And let me know when you need me. And um, he sat me down and he was like, okay, like, I'm happy to take you on. There's going to be a lot, a lot of learning. And every morning at the barn, 445, 5 a.m., Um, we would draw blood and, um, I ended up being on two of his research projects and it was such an eye-opening experience that I was spending all this time early in college, um, mind you, where most people are having a great time. And I learned like that was my great time. If I could go and do that every morning and it was just on a volunteer basis, I wasn't getting any credit for it. Um, I was getting hours, um, towards something I thought I wanted to do. Um, it's kind of how it solidified. And I really knew like, hey, if I'm willing to do this 
for free and I enjoy it this much. Um, this is kind of where I need to go. And I remember calling my dad one day and telling him that saying, Hey dad, I think I'm going to be a veterinarian. And he was like, finally. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean? And he goes, Oh, I've always known you're going to be a veterinarian, but you can't tell you what to do. So I just waited for you to figure it out. <laughs> so, what, what, why do you think he knew that about you? Yeah, I think growing up, I had a lot of, you know, I think everybody who enters the field loves animals. Um, and it was marrying that medicine piece of that where, I, you know, I played veterinarian, I pretended. And um, my grandfather, my step-grandfather uh, was a veterinarian. And so when I kind of switched focus, I, I had more insight to that. And then, you know, whenever my parents were encouraging me to give back to the community, that's what I chose to do was go to the shelter and walk the dogs that were in um, kennels. And um, so I think that they always just saw me taking care of animals more than taking care of people. I didn't play house. I played farm. I played vet instead of teacher, you know? And yeah. so those signs were there for them. Um, but I, some might say I was hardheaded um, to say the least. My, my parents would probably describe me as that. And so they, they said, if they had told me, hey, I think you should really track this, I probably would have gone and done the opposite. So he was like, I just waited for you to figure it out. Actually, that reminds me of my journey a little bit. Um, I always knew I loved writing, but when I got into college, um, I was a little scared to apply to the journalism school because I didn't think yeah. it was like a solid career path. So I was like, oh, I'll just do speech therapy. And so I took all these classes for that because I thought it was going to be um, just a, like a more linear path. And then I was in audiology and I was like, I can't do this. And so I was like, I have to apply <laughs> to the journalism school like for me to be happy. And so it's like interesting when you have this moment or like epiphany and you're like, I need to pursue that or I'm not going to be like, living up to my potential or like enjoying my career. So I relate to that a lot. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, we, we should feel really blessed too, because not everybody gets that epiphany. You know, um, I have, I've had friends who are like, yeah, I like my job, but I don't love it. I could do something else. And they're like, you're so lucky that you found your thing, you know, something that um, fills your bucket each day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I wanted to know what it felt like to graduate and any anxiety you felt like the weeks leading up to graduation or like right after, like, tell me how you felt or any stories related to that. Yeah, there was a lot of anxiety. So graduating was great. Um, you, I felt really proud, um, felt very accomplished. My grandfather got to come and put, um, you know, do my, uh, ties on graduation. That meant a lot to me because he was a veterinarian. Dr. Charles Wilson is the name of Dr. Boatwright's late grandfather. She affectionately called him Papa Charlie. He practiced veterinary medicine for more than 50 years. He actually opened one of the first emergency clinics in Houston and is well known in the veterinary community. And then I remember there was this waiting period where you had to wait for your license to come in. And I think it's changed a little since then, but... Um, I just remember moving uh, to Houston where I had accepted a job with Banfield and I thought all the knowledge was going to fall out of my head. Really. I remember telling my husband that, and it was only a six week waiting period till I started. 
But I remember thinking, well, I have to, you know, I have to read things to keep all the good stuff I've learned over my last year um, in my head so I can recite it. And um, that was a real, a real anxiety that I thought about pretty often. And um, when I did finally start, like it was there, it started coming back, you know, they can't take away four years of of schooling that we work through, but right. that anxiety, that anxiety was there. And uh, if I hadn't had a mentor um, or two, actually, to reach out to and talk through and kind of talk me off the, you know, the ledge to say, I, I don't know that I would have not letting it got the best of me. Um, so I always keep that in mind then when I have new graduates um, that join because mentorship is a huge passion for me. And I know that anxiety exists, it's real. Um, and we, we do have to address it because it is different in school than it is being out on our own. Yeah. And who was that mentor to you? And like, what did he or she say that made you feel better? So I had two. my grandfather was one whenever I got out of school. Um, and so his name is Dr. Wilson, Charlie Wilson. And, um, one of the things that, well, he had two great pieces of advice for me. Um, one of them was just, if you find the thing that you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And you went through really hard school to get here. So you found the thing that you love and why you're doing it. Um, and I always appreciated that. So um, he asked me to keep focusing, you know, on those positives, like you're about to get to do the journey you've worked so hard for. Um, and He's like, you have so many resources. You make resources at the school. Um, and then Dr. Dale Lonsford um, out in Deer Park was a huge mentor for me. I did an externship with him. Um, and when I started with Banfield, I um, still reached out to him and would uh, ask about some cases. I referred cases to him. Um, and during that time period, I just, I would check in with them um, and some of my teachers from school even. Mm -hmm. Just like, hey, I'm super excited to still work. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my my knowledge. And they're like, yeah. nope, it'll be there. We promise. Um, <laughs> you know, and so it, it wasn't until I started that I, I saw it all come flooding back. And I had my mentor within Banfield that kind of helped ease that 12-week period of anxiety there. Yeah. So, like, once you finally started practicing, you gained more confidence and the anxiety eased a little bit? Yeah, I think it just kind of switched, right? Like, I don't know that it um, eased up any, but it definitely went from, oh, I'm going to lose my knowledge to, um, okay, now I'm responsible for these lives, and they're not always doing what my gold standard treatment plan is. And that was a real, um, a real piece of anxiety that I think probably a lot of new grads have, um, and definitely one of my mentees went through that, um, which was, what she had nominated me for the award for um, her story was great and how I helped her through that. And I remember that being a big piece of it. Just, I can't control everything. I'm here to advocate for the pet, but at the end of the day, they still get to choose um, treatment plans. And um, there was that anxiety, like, well, what's going to happen if they don't run this test and I don't have that piece of information um, yeah. because school doesn't necessarily always prepare us for that when they have quite robust uh, treatment plans and the more common things sometimes you're diagnosing and you don't get to do all the diagnosis so mm -hmm. the um, diagnostics that you want so 
that piece I think was the the big switch. Because it depends on the pet owner's pocketbooks, right? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely that piece of it. And then, you know, you work so hard for your license and, and you feel like, okay, well, they're allowed to pick and choose their, their treatment plan because they own this pet. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, it's still, if I misdiagnose it, you know, my license that I worked for. And so I think that anxiety is for every veterinarian. And I don't know that it ever really goes away. Um, you know, we're humans and we make mistakes and um, it's hard because you're talking to another human. It's an emotional choice to own a pet. Um, and so that anxiety for every case is, is potentially there. Yeah. Um, what do you wish you had known when you graduated that you know now? Like if you were to talk to your younger self with the knowledge that you have now, like what would you say and like what do you wish you knew? Oh gosh, that's such a great question. Um, probably that when cases don't go the way that you're anticipating, staying up at night and rethinking them over and over again isn't going to change them. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that piece of advice would be huge. Like go to bed, wake up in the morning and, you know, work through where you can. Um, you know, and then that the conversation piece, the communication piece in veterinary medicine is, is so huge and so key um, to getting to do great treatment plans for your patients. Um, if you can't communicate with clients, then you're not going to get them to approve any treatment plan. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think that that piece focus on good communication and good mentorship and good leadership, um, all of those things, which I, I found in my training where I chose to, you know, practice, but focusing on that a little earlier probably would have made me, um, made that first year just a little bit easier. And so you got offered a job at Banfield, um, in which, oh, uh, Pasadena. Yeah, I, I trained, well, I trained at Pasadena and then I, uh, worked at the Webster location. Okay. And so the training that involved the three-month mentorship program? Yep. Yeah, we still have it uh, today. It's just a little more structured, but it was 12 weeks back then. You got a doctor that was, um, you know, your mentor, and they uh, slowly ramped you up with cases and kind of talked you through um, conversations, uh, how to present treatment plans if it was a more difficult case, things like that. Uh, what stands out to you from that mentorship program that was really helpful, like a lesson that you still incorporate today? Uh, probably going back to that um, com- communication piece. Yeah. Like if I walk into an exam room and I have a great spiel to talk to them about atopy and I'm like, oh, here's you know, so much puritis and I have these signs and the people are still looking at me like, well, I don't know what atopy is and I don't know what puritis means. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, I can, I can use words like allergies and itching. Um, and, and then people, you can see them click and, and sometimes people just don't want to tell you that they don't understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, all four years in school, we're taught use our doctor words. And then when you get out, um, you might have this really great educational talk that's like to the T on 
uh, facts for Adapi, but if you don't say it in a way that the client can understand, um, it's not going to help you at all. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And are there any specific stories during those first three months where like you talked to a client and then you got really overwhelmed and then you were like, I need to talk to my mentor. Anything that happened during that time that's like really specific that you remember or is it kind of a blur? (laughs) You know, I don't um, specifically remember any one case. I do remember I had three foreign body cases in my 12 weeks. And my mentor was like, wow, there, you kind of, you attract them. Um, and, th- and surgery was a big, um, a big thing for me. I worked at Texas A&M as a, a surgery technician for the vet school. Whenever I determined that I wanted to be a veterinarian, I knew I needed more hours. And so I've always loved surgery. And um, so that's now my favorite surgery by far. And I remember that first case, like, okay, do I send this? to somebody? Do I refer it? And she was like, no, like I'm capable of doing this surgery and I want to teach you and let's go through this together. Um, and so I think that reaching out to her on things that I wanted to learn was really, really helpful. Got it. And so after two and a half years of practice, you were promoted to chief of staff and then you grew your practice, um, from two doctors to five. And then two of those doctors are your mentees, or they, they were your mentees. Um, so that, that's all correct, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. it is. I think I trained like five or six doctors, but two of them stayed at my own hospital. Okay. And so what is your mentorship approach when you were helping those mentees? Like, what did you teach? How to, like, how did, what was your style? Yeah, it, it so much depends on who your, your, um, going to be a mentor for so one of my favorite veterinarians to this day and the gal who um, nominated me for the award um, you know when she came out of school she had similar anxieties um, to what I had and her anxiety really got her to a point where she was ready to quit veterinary medicine Um, she was really owning and taking home those what if situations like what if this dog doesn't get better with what I've given or what if you know, they can't approve this treatment plan. How is that? You know, I, I failed this dog. Um, and, and for her, one of the things we sat down and, and finally had to say was like, you're not in a good headspace. Like you have the knowledge here, you've passed all the exams and let's talk about how we're handling the outcomes. And so we actually made an outcome journal together. Um, and what we had to go through was, you know, this is what we can control and this is what we can't and how are these outcomes each week and we we started counting them up so like this week I saw 60 cases and how many of them were great outcomes Uh, turns out all 60 you know the ultimate fear for every veterinarian is really that we lose a patient right or we do something wrong and and I think that's true for students and so when we started doing the outcome journal it was really a way to statistically and analytically put that into place to where we could prove it right each week talk about the hard cases okay and then how did it end you know and she could say oh well he went home and you know we did our follow-up and he did great you're like oh he went home and he had to come back and we switched medicines but he ended up getting better and um so i think the outcome journal really helped her um she was very um you know 
one-on-one, we had a lot of cases that we worked up together and talked through them. And then my other mentor that I also loved, I mean, mentee that I love dearly that stayed at my hospital, um, you know, she was the complete opposite. She was like, I'll let you know when I need you. Um, let me tell you my treatment plan before you say anything. Um, you know, and so I think you have to really use adaptive leadership, which is something, it's a technique that Banfield has taught me over time. Um, to really flex how you approach each person to be an effective mentor. Mm, Because because I don't know that my second mentee or my youngest doctor at Webster would have taken to that same approach that the first had. I think she would have felt smothered by me as a mentor. Um, And so, you know, while we all want mentorship, it does look different. And finding the right mentor for you is probably some of the best advice any new graduate can get. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of therapy a little bit, like someone listening to what you're going through and then they just have to tailor it to like what you need. Um, Yeah, a little bit. I mean, that is kind of what adaptive leadership is about. It's learning that person's communication style and um, how they can hear you better. And, but yeah, I, I think you hit it spot on that it is a little bit of therapy and it's, um, you know, a little bit of, you know, not boosting your ego, but proving to your mentee, like, you got this, you can do this, mm-hmm. um, you know, that you're their cheerleader. And if they get a little off path, you, you talk them through and ask the right questions to get them back on a path you think is more appropriate. So. Right. And how did you come up with the idea for an outcome journal that I've never heard of that? It seems really awesome. Um, <laughs> funny enough, uh, one of my peers, told me once that um, her, her boss had given her the feedback that, um, you know, you're particularly being negative quite a bit lately. So I want you to keep a positivity journal and I want you to write down three positive things a a day. And I remember her telling me like, she's like, I feel silly doing this. Um, But really by the end of the uh, month, she was so much better um, about pointing out the positive and Um, so I thought, Hey, I can take that technique and we can do outcomes and we can, you know, focus it around anxiety. So that's kind of how that came to be. Got it. Yeah. I love that. That's kind of like having a gratitude journal. Um, yeah. Nice. And then, so I know you also participated in the power of 10. What, what year were you? Uh, I was 2016, 2017. Okay. Okay. So it was like, Right after you won yeah. the award? It was right after I won the award, yeah. I was going to say that was just one of the best things I have ever done, for sure, <laughs> for my own leadership. Um, that was such a great experience. And why is that? Like, what was so great about it for you? A couple of things. Um, it put me in contact and built my network um, with other veterinarians that were in a similar places me all new graduates that kind of took different routes um it opened my eyes to um you know veterinary leadership as a whole um you know how tvma functions and their structures and what um being on a committee means and you know for those that didn't focus on um tons of extracurriculars in school or you weren't a part of it um you don't know and so it's hard to get involved and um, so 
so that getting us involved in it, teaching us the ins and outs of it was great. We had a group project that we worked on um, and Wade gave me another mentor. Dr. Wade Burton developed the content and curriculum for the TVMA Power of 10 Leadership Program. He works at IDEX as the Medical Affairs Specialist for Infectious Diseases and recently won the 2019 TVMA Veterinary Industry Representative of the Year Award. He gave us a book, uh, The Happiness Advantage. The full title for that book is The Happiness Advantage, The Seven Principles of Positive Psychology That Fuel Success and Performance at Work. It's by Sean Aker. The author explains how people can reprogram their brains to become more positive to gain a competitive edge at work. And Wade Burton, I can't tell you that book. Um, during my time with The Power of Ten, my husband was diagnosed with lymphoma. Oh. And, um, and so I actually had to take a step back. But that book um, and then my support system that I had really helped my family get through that period. So literally one of the best um, things I ever did for my own leadership to learn how to handle difficult situations and uh, give me more tools to handle, you know, life in general. So yeah, I tell every new grad, I'm like, you should do it. It's so <laughs> life altering. <laughs> yeah. And there, there are people still today that I, um, you know, vote for when they run for things and can reach out to if I have questions and it's just building your network. And it's so important in veterinary medicine. Um, we're such a, we're such a small community and they say it in school and you don't feel like that. Um, but when you get out, it's really, really true. Mm. And it sounds like the time you participated in the program was really crucial just based on after being out of school for three years. And then you, you said about your husband. So it seems like having that support network was really important during that time. Yeah. So what I think it did is it set me up. So now I run the Houston market. So I, I actually run 18 hospitals now. Wow. Um, and, and so I oversee around 54 veterinarians or so. And um, it gave me the ability to, you know, focus on the important things, um, really appreciate what's a fire and needs addressing now and what is something I can think about later. It puts your family and your priorities into focus. Um, and, you know, I had support from all angles, from my career to my family when my husband was diagnosed. Um, that peer group was reaching out, like, can we make you food? Can we watch your kids? While, while uh, my husband went through chemo, I was also happened to be pregnant with our second child and I get wow. very, very sick whenever I'm pregnant. And so we would just be sick together and my peers would help me watch my kids and make food for us. And that network and that, that book that Wade gave us, those were all coping mechanisms that got me through that and really prepared me for this next step in my career. I never thought I would be in charge of or take on the role of mentoring so many veterinarians at one time. Yeah. And it's such an honor to do it, but it's also overwhelming um, to prioritize sometimes. And I feel like that year of my life with Power of 10 and my husband's cancer set me up for that and, and to be successful for it, mm -hmm. um, which, which I'm really proud to say, like we are being very successful. My market's like fifth out of 59. Um, my, my staffing rate went from, 
you know, 25% turnover down to 5%. And so I feel like I'm, I'm really connecting with my doctors. They want to stay, they want to develop. Um, and I'm really proud of that. And it was those years with power of 10 that set me up for that for sure. So now I have like several questions and I'm like, Oh no, that's the first one to ask because some of the things you just talked about are related to like two other topics that we're doing. And one is success in veterinary medicine and two veterinarians I spoke with, they thought success initially was like owning your own practice. Um, and then two things along the way with like different for each of them, um, made them face the fact that like that wasn't going to be the success in their life, like that idea. Um, yeah. And so it sounds like for you, like the success you're experiencing is like, wow, you like are managing all of these people and you're really succeeding. Like if you have that really low turnover rate and then you have really engaged um, so many people, do you, uh, did you even like fathom that you would be doing this well? It just seems like really, <laughs> seems really good. Um, no, I had great mentors that said, hey, I think you'd be really great at this role. And um, there were some times in my career where I had some really pointed conversations and got some great feedback from really great mentors that said, hey, if you don't change how you do X, Y, or Z, it might hinder your career. And um, so that mentorship, when it comes to giving feedback, um, owning your own engagement, that's another thing that somebody taught me along the way. Like people aren't going to come out of the woodworks and all of a sudden talk you through how to do a difficult case. You, you have the power and the right and, um, you know, the energy to go and call a specialist and say, hey, talk me through this case. I want to learn. I'm a little overwhelmed. Um, I tell my doctors all the time I laugh with them because I'll still call a specialist and I'll say, so I'm a new grad. <laughs> and, and they're like, uh... Dr. Boatwright, you've been saying that for like five years now. I'm like, yep, and I'm gonna keep, I'm gonna keep presenting myself that way. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, you're always, you're always learning. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, and then, so you have two children. I do. I have a one-year-old and a four-year-old. Okay, so that means that your husband was diagnosed like fairly. Wait, if your kid is one. Yep. So it happened right at, in the middle of power of 10. Um, he was diagnosed the same day I found out I was pregnant. Oh my um, God. it was, it was definitely a tough day. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he's been in remission after he did his chemotherapy. Um, he's been in remission ever since, um, and did really well with his radiation therapy. And, um, you know, it's funny cause what's well, not funny, but my great Dane, when I was pregnant with my first child, ended up getting lymphoma what? and um and so when I was pregnant there I told my husband I said I just cannot lose my four-legged baby like we're gonna put her through chemo and so we did the chemotherapy with Gulf Coast and it was a great experience she handled it wonderfully it gave us another year and a half with her um and my husband's um therapy was very similar protocol yeah. <laughs> because um he had Hodgkin's lymphoma and so um, I feel like God was actually just putting all the pieces in my life for me to handle that period of my life. Yeah. Um, so it, it turned out it was a hard, it was a hard period, but it's definitely something 
there are mentors out there like Dr. Lori Teller, uh, you know, who, who have gone through some of these crazy things and still succeeded and become presidents of, you know, ABMA and all kinds of things that are, you, re you can reach out to them or see them speak and just see like, you know, they really have all the tools and how, how did they get there and ask them those questions. They're happy to tell you, um, you know, the books they loved. Wade, Wade's given me so many books, but um, using those resources that you have and, and TVMA, ABMA, um, you know, because they're all people, they've gone through similar stuff and they help you through it. Yeah. Yeah. And I spoke with uh, Dr. Teller and uh, also Dr. Turner. Um, so I'm curious, like being pregnant, that's hard as well. Um, so how do you think that and like the others, you know, with your husband having cancer and then your dog, how do you feel like that made you stronger as a person? And also like as a couple, how do you feel like that made you too stronger? Oh, it definitely did. We had to um, communicate better. Um, you know, cancer is scary no matter whether it's a dog or a human. Um, it's scary if you're the patient. It's scary if you're the family member. Um, so you really have to talk a lot about, you know, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if I'm too sick to help here or, you know, help with the kids or whatnot? And so having a plan and having a network um, of people to reach out to that have gone through it um, definitely has helped. Um, the peer group and support I received just with Banfield alone was amazing. You know, my line manager at the time, <laughs> I remember calling her and telling her that my dog had lymphoma the, like with, when I was pregnant my first time. And I said, I might need days where I need to take her to chemotherapy and it's all the way in downtown. She was like, whatever you need, I understand. Like that is your, your four-legged baby. And then I had the same line managers when I had to call and tell her that my husband had cancer. And um, it was the exact same response. Whatever you need, we will do. Whatever hours you need. Um, and I just, there's probably no amount of words that could thank them enough for being that flexible. Yeah. It sounds like that's very much like a lot of empathy for you and they probably really respect you. That's what it seems like. Yeah, I just, I think that the, the associate principle is, is something that we really speak to at Banfield. It's where, hey, we're going to take care of you. And in return, we ask that you take care of the business, which is taking care of pets and doing it the right way. Mm -hmm. um, and I really feel like Banfield stepped up during that time and, and took care of me. Um, you know, they gave me the flexible hours that, that I needed to be with my family, um, you know, and and I, I'm just really grateful. <laughs> yeah. Um, and now I'm curious about being juggling, being a mother, and then having uh, a role that, that you have. Um, what has that been like, any of the challenges of, of um, balancing being a mother and then holding that sort of job that you have? Yeah. Great question. I'm living it every day. And I don't know, some days I feel like I'm winning. And, and some days I feel like, well, today was not a great day. I don't know that I won today. Um, yeah. It's really comes down to that balance of, of work-life balance, you know. Um, it's, it's hard for veterinarians sometimes to leave work at the office, especially if they're a practice owner um, or they help run a practice in any kind of way where they lead people. Because 
you know, you want to be there for everybody that might need you in, in that capacity. But at some point you do have to remember like, okay, what are my priorities? And my family is by far one of my top priorities. Um, and so you have to put it away at some point and say, okay, today, this is all I'm going to do. Or today I'm going to put it away and I'm going to spend this five hours with my family and finish my last two tasks right before I go to bed or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, setting those boundaries is really, really key. Um, and whenever you're struggling, like reaching out to one of your mentors and saying that. I, I can't tell you, uh, again, like how key cancer was to teaching me that. Like when you're, when you're drowning, you got to reach out and ask for help. And it doesn't make you weak. It makes you strong. Yeah. Um, that was a big lesson that I learned. Yeah. So like I said, I have a niece and my sister's a new uh, mom. And I know that um, she's like waiting on all those milestones of like the first word or did did you like happen to miss any of that because you were working a lot or was the work-life balance enough where like you were able to be there for all those moments? Um, you know, I never felt like I missed out on any of the milestones. Um, I remember being afraid that they were going to happen like at daycare yeah. um, or at my mother-in-law's house. And I do remember telling her like, okay, if she takes her first steps when she got really close, just don't tell me. I want to see it on my own for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think that's a real, a real thing for probably every mom. Yeah. Um, so they were probably just really nice and never told me. And, <laughs> and I just believe my memories that I have are the real ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like that. And then, so I wanted to, go back to mentorship a little bit. So then you also participate in Banfield summer student job mentorship program. Is that something you're still doing? Yeah. Um, so I don't take on a mentor, um, student anymore individually because I'm not practicing in a clinic anymore. I I go in and I advise and I teach surgeries to doctors and talk through cases, but um, a lot of my job is traveling to different clinics and helping and leading. So it's probably not a great use of a student's time to see that at a higher level, um, especially if they're in their first or second year. But I do oversee the student job program for my entire market. So um, we still go and do the mentorship uh, dinners. And so I meet all the students and talk through it. Um, I'm really, really big into recruiting because I enjoy the students. Mm-hmm. So go up to A&M, you know, do interviewing. I went down and got to go to St. Kitts um, just a month ago and do their student job um, fair and talk with the students there just about, you know, different career options. And um, it's just fun to talk to students because even if they're not looking to come, you know, where I work, um, it reminds me how great our field is because they, they can go, like, the, the world is their oyster. They can get, do whatever they want. Um, and so it's nice to see them so excited about where they might go, um, reminding me how broad our field is. So you were in the Caribbean then? I was. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so it's funny. I'm, like, a huge Hamilton nerd, and he was born in St. Kitts. <laughs> oh, Yeah. They did. They had, um, that was their Hamilton Square. They had a, a little thing named after them. It's funny. Um, but yeah, it was beautiful. Um, and one of the perks of the job, right? Like I got to go represent Banfield, talk to students, things I love. 
Um, and so it was really engaging for me. Yeah. And then, um, I guess when you had more of like a direct role with it, did you see the impact of it with just like one of the, one of your mentees, anything that stands out to you with that? Yeah. So I had three students over my years practicing and two of the three work for Banfield now, and they're in actually my peers market up in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I still stay in contact with them. You know, I would send them things during school. I remember the hard times, like Navalee is a really hard, stressful time. And so sending them care boxes and um, a big thing I send to my students who are coming onto my market is I have, um, you know, those wedding cards that like piece of pieces of advice Um, you know, like always do this, don't do this. And then dot, dot, dot. Um, so when they sign up or they sign a contract and they're going to a hospital and they found the right team for themselves, I love to give all the team members one or two of those cards and ask them to give the new student advice from the hospital. Um, so it might be like never stand behind a impacted anal gland or just something funny, (laughs) um, you know, that brightens their day when they're going through a stressful time. And so I send out some of those care boxes, um, to really stay and connect with the doctors, let them know I'm, I'm thinking about them and I can't wait for them to join my team, um, and have them excited too. Yeah. And then on a broader scale, what do you think is the biggest problem or issue that new recent graduates experience and what can be done to address it? If there is something that like comes to mind with that. So I think in veterinary medicine as a whole, mental health in general um, is something, and I do think it's being addressed. Um, You know, our suicide rates are higher, but but I think it's because we weren't talking about the anxiety of coming out of school and making that transition. Um, you know, really, I know A&M was great about incorporating communication into their school program um, and having more communication uh, lectures and stuff at, at SWIVS and giving the veterinarians the tools they need to address anxiety, which then addresses mental health, um, which is really one of the biggest things that we face as a profession. Um, and I love that we're making it more of a um, center of focus. Banfield itself is actually, we just rolled out this month. Um, we're doing suicide prevention training for all of our hospitals. Anybody who wants to participate, we're shutting down all, tw- all 1,200 hospitals for two hours um, wow. to teach people how to talk about it, um, to recognize signs, to maybe prevent it, you know? And um, yeah. it's a big investment obviously and time and and money and um but it's the right thing to do for our profession so that we can help protect each other's mental health and um so i think that as a whole um is our biggest issue but is also being addressed but in various different ways from the university level all the way to um you know giant corporations and um you know private practice getting better at recognizing the signs and so um it's nice to see the community coming together and addressing it Have you experienced any of that personally with like knowing any veterinarians or veterinarians, you know, that have known other, just curious. Yeah, I, um, I've had two in my six years, um, people that I have known, none that I was super close to, um, but just the fact of knowing them, um, and 
knowing that they got to that place and that something maybe could have been done different, you know, you think back, like, could I have recognized something on one of their posts online or could I have, um, you know, and so I think the ask training is great because it helps us understand and recognize some of those signs and learn how to speak up and, and ask the right questions, right, and, mm -hmm. and get them to the right people who, who might be able to treat them because it's not me, but it, it may be somebody else and I might ask the right question that helps that person. That was Dr. Michelle Boatwright discussing the challenges of being a recent graduate and how she overcame them. She touched on the importance of mentorship, especially for recent graduates. In the next episode of the miniseries, we dive even deeper into the topic of mentorship with Dr. Dan Posey. It's one of the most complex that you'll ever deal with in human relationships. The only thing that's probably more complex is parenting. Dr. Posey unpacks the complexity of this relationship. He talks about how to establish the mentor-mentee relationship and even share some of his experiences as both a mentor and a mentee. So if you're seeking a mentor or would like to learn more about becoming one, tune in to this episode. For now, please rate the show and write a review. Thank you for listening to Veterinary Vitals. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein from TVMA.